Good Humans is a proud member of Accidental Information. For more info, visit accidentalinformation.com. Hello, people of Earth, and welcome back to Good Humans. This is a podcast about exploring better ways to be human. My name is Josh, and I'm so excited about today's episode. We'll get to that in just a second. Before we get there... I want to tell you again about my Patreon page. Uh, it's patreon.com slash goodhumans. If you're not already a member, you are missing out. If you don't know anything about it, just go check it out. You get access to some really cool stuff. Um, there's a lot of really, really interesting things going on over there. Just trying to create some community, see what we can do together, uh, and just get to know maybe some of you at the same time. So check it out. It's uh, patreon.com slash goodhumans. My guest today is Pete Holmes. Pete Holmes is a stand-up comedian, podcaster, actor, Christ-leaning truth seeker, and a first-time author. Uh, Pete has been instrumental in my own search for truth, and I'm so excited to read his book, Comedy, Sex, God. Pete was so wonderful and open and kind in this conversation, and I'm truly honored to have gotten to speak with him. I'm sure this is going to be an extremely helpful episode for you, uh, as it was certainly helpful for me. So please enjoy Pete Holmes. This just occurred to me. I've been thinking about you and about the, the interview a lot. You, for all intents and purposes, are a pastor. Have you ever thought about it that way before? Um, I, I have thought about what I do as a ministry in the loose sense in that it ministers to people. Yeah. Um, and I do preach, meaning sometimes I get really emphatic and, you know, I guess preaching just means speaking with a sharp point for an extended period of time. Yeah. Um, but I don't know about pastor. I, 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 don't, I don't resist it. Um, I just mean it in the best, I think the best sense of the word, the, the best of what that could be. I I mean, the other, the other words would be like guru, shaman, you know, whatever you want to call it, but <laughs> it's very kind, uh, you know, in the I same mean, way that Nadia Boltz Weber is still a pastor, um, even though she's not necessarily pastoring right now, Rob Bell is still a pastor or even in the same way, other comedians, you know, Bill Burr and, and the like are, are pastors. I think you're, right. you're speaking truth. You're, you're telling your congregation is your audience and you're speaking truth to your audience. Oh, that's really nice. Yeah, no, I like that. I do like that. So your book is coming out May 14th, um, mm-hmm. Comedy Sex God. Are you, even after years of redefining things for yourself and, you know, learning and opening yourself up, were you hesitant still to, to talk about a lot of those experiences or are you still hesitant to talk about a lot of those experiences? Yeah, you know, I think one of the things that, one of the reasons, rather, that I wanted to write the book was that uh, religion is, is, at least for me, so embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had to sort of overcome that. But luckily with the podcast, I, I had this practice of sort of like a slow gas leak, like letting it out mm. very gradually and just sort of monitor, monitoring the feedback and seeing if people would still accept me as a, as a comedian or whatever if I, if I wanted to talk about these things. And of course, my experience has been, it's the wonderful thing about the internet is you can, you can find an even more specific audience being spiritually curious people and, sure. and recovering evangelicals and all that sort of stuff. So the, the audience, I don't know if it grew or stayed the same or just changed, but like 
the podcast was certainly my first foray into talking about spiritual stuff. Um, so by the time I was writing the book, I was actually really excited because the biggest problem for me, uh, as I say in the book, I, that's really all I want to talk about. That's that's an exaggeration, but like the mystery that we're all sort of trapped in or hugged by, <laughs> positively. And the, and the thing with the book, the biggest obstacle I face with wanting to talk about this stuff is um, most people don't really want to talk about it, and I understand that. But anyway, so the reason to write a book was, I was like, if you if you buy a book called Comedy, Sex, God, chances are you want to hear me talk about comedy, sex, and God. Mm-hmm. And, and I like that sort of green light. Because what I'm always looking for, if I'm at a party or, or just meeting somebody, I'm looking for some sort of green light from them that they want to talk about this stuff. And a book is is the ultimate, like, okay, you bought the book, you've entered into the agreement, right. and now I feel safe to sort of talk about these things. And you can also feel safe reading about them, because it's not like I'm there. I'm not going to debate with you. I, I can just sort of, you know, splay out my goods, and you can pick up what you like and leave what you don't. And, and that that's a little bit more comfortable sometimes when it comes to matters of spirituality. But to answer the second part, I mean, if I still have pangs of, like, you know, Valerie, uh, my wife and I talk about this all the time, that every once in a while, usually early in the morning when you wake up and you're still just, like, a little bit scared, there's just, like, sort of, I wake up with just, like, a generalized anxiety program running. Um, Not always, but, but usually I'll wake up and I'll just sort of almost be daunted by what's going on here, and I'll be frightened by... And I actually think this is good. I'll be frightened by my certainty, and that's good because I don't want to be too certain. I don't need very long to remember that that's not right, but if somebody gets first crack at you mm. when you're a child, and if it's, if it's these huge archetypal symbols like your parents, and as I write in the book, these grown-ups that are running the church, and I trusted and believed grown-up, and they're all telling me that the world works a certain way, of course, it's it's okay to have compassion for yourself and the part of you that's still sort of like, wait a minute, I, I did the one thing I'm not supposed to do. I, I sort of left my traditional faith. So this like sort of fear response happens. It's almost like dying. Like when you die, it's you know it's important to remember that like your body, the the animal of your body, is going to resist, and to try and have compassion for that resistance as well, and just go like, yeah, that's what my heart and my lungs and my veins and my brain does it tries to keep itself alive and you and you have to like love that panic and that fear so i try to have compassion for the love uh, the panic and the fear that i have sometimes sure. even if it's brief that i go oh no everybody told me it was one one way one group one doctrine one book and and here i am sort of prancing in the fields of all these different doctrines and, and teachers and traditions and so, yeah, I, I, it's under, it's, I see it as a psychological issue more than a spiritual issue, that it's, it's just my psyche flaring up and going, you know. But that, that's one of the reasons why I'm Christ-leaning. That's a psychological issue, too. All, obviously, these are signposts. These are symbol systems. <clears throat> and they're powerful, and they're overlaying on history. I'm not saying there wasn't a Jesus, and I'm not even saying that he didn't die and rise again. That's, that's not really the point. The point is some sort of inner transformation. And whatever gets you there is is going to be very valuable and sort of delicious for you. Delicious. <laughs> so um, I, one of the reasons I, I remain 
Christ-leaning is because of uh, psychological reason, reasons. You know, Ramdas talks about that, like with his guru, he related and was able to open his heart to his guru because it reminded him of his father. Like there was dad issues. Yeah. But that's a very Jesus-y thing. You know, a, a verse that I've been kicking around lately is that Jesus talks about letting the wheat and the weeds grow together. And then one of the ways that I interpret that is I'm like, yeah, work with your psychology, work with your flaws even, work with everything. So part of my psychology is this spiritual uh, inheritance that I got as a child, and I find a lot of value in reclaiming uh, Jesus in a new lens. And that is, I, I don't want to say primarily, but it's largely psychological. It feels really good to go back and, and still have an inner relationship with the God, gods, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, not, you know, it's all one, I understand that, but of my youth, that, that feels good, and that's one of the reasons I wrote the book, was I was like, look, let's go, let's go far, let's, let's talk about psychedelics, let's talk about Buddha, let's talk about Hinduism, let's talk about everything, and, but, you know, don't worry, we'll keep one foot on the dock that says Jesus, because that, that matters, or it's a Christian uh, a lot of us have Christian upbringings, and it feels nice to keep that warm, gooey Christ energy sort of housing all of it, and, and that's what I have working for me now. Like a sort of like an orientation point, like uh, I don't want to say North Star because that like that sounds very absolute, but sort of a uh, sort right. of like that. I you know that's I was going to call the book Gateway God uh, oh, because at the end of the book I talk about how all gods are gateway gods, all like understanding. That of God aren't God. Mm -hmm. Like Richard Rohr calls them signposts and or we could call them symbol systems, which is what Carl Jung would call them, you know, it's, it's these images, right? But the idea is to transcend even your tradition, even your signpost, even your sim symbol system and merge, you know. That's a big Richard Rohr thing is like you want to merge with this, mm -hmm. with God energy, with the flow, the Tao, whatever you want to call it. But um you know, <laughs> so the the gateway God thing is like sometimes it's like a, it's a it's a bookmark in your book, and you sort of like when you would play uh, choose your own adventure books. Maybe you're at the page where you're going to choose whether or not to leave the church. Maybe you keep your thumb in that page, uh -huh. and that and that lets you keep your touchstone while you explore sure. Hinduism or Buddhism. But you know, it's still there for you if you need it and when you need it. Well, it's all there, right? Whenever you need it. Um, isn't it fun that the, a book that has been used to be the, the basis of one of the most exclusionary religions that there has been, has all of these ideas in it. If, yeah, if you're reading it I, correctly sounds wrong. Cause there's, I mean, I guess there's no correct well, necessarily, but if you're reading if it you're openly, reading it, yeah, spaciously. yeah, um, it, it's, it's super fun. I actually think one of the greatest joys in my life is reading, let's say, Alan Watts and uncovering something that he says, that Richard Rohr says, that Rob Bell says, that Jesus said, yes. that Buddha said. And, you know, obviously when I was young, I, we were spending, I would say, wasting so much of our time trying to prove that Jesus was the only one, Yeah, which is the most Western thing you could do. It's also, you know, it has notes of narcissism. It's like it's our group, it's our God, and and we wasted time. You know, I remember disproving Buddha just by going like, "Well, he died." 
he died. He yeah. didn't resurrect. Yeah. You know, we didn't count reincarnation because we didn't believe him. So we were like, no, he died. Jesus is the only one. It's the most Western spirituality ever is to be like, Jesus is the only one who came back from the dead. And that's what makes him worth being my God. He earned <laughs> being my God. So <laughs> all the other ones died and are stupid or made up. And um, so, yeah. Yeah. I, I remember thinking, um, and I've heard you say this too, but I remember thinking growing up, it has always tripped me out that where you are born and where you grow up has so much to do with what you think about all this. I happen to be born in America. So there's, I don't know what the percentage is, but there's a really good chance that you're going to end up Christian being born in America or at least introduced to those ideas. But if I had been born somewhere in the middle East or in India or Thailand or you know China or Japan, I mean, there's no, there's no telling, you know, like I, I could have been born anywhere. And so then I would think those are a the different kind of America and been a different yeah. type of Christian. Yeah. You know? It's or, crazy. Or, I know. I, I, I really think that realization is one of the important first steps is to realize that um, your, your symbol system, your religion is, is a product of when and where you were born. I mean, if you consider for how many hundreds of thousands of years, or maybe tens of thousands. I, I always forget how short it is. It's actually not that long. <laughs> yeah. Like how many tens of thousands of years that human Homo erectus has existed in our full capacity with our full brains and our full bodies. And, you know, like it, that was going on for so, so long, so, so long before any religion showed up. So, you know, Richard Rohr, again, is one of those people that's like, was God just silent for that time? Yeah. Is that is that just like a irrelevant? Again, we see the narcissism. We're like, no, it starts here with our calendar with our god and now we have it and and no one else had it it's just not a very good global or like you know the full timeline of of existence and you know all of existence you know not just human beings like what was god saying what was god doing we see that as like everything is just a prop for like western american christians to like I don't know, be moral and then go to heaven um, is is a very limited thing. So it's a very liberated, liberating experience to go like if I had, and I said it to Rob Bell when I first met him, I said, if you were born in India, you'd be Hindu. Mm -hmm. And he said, yes. And I had never heard a Christian, he's not a pastor anymore, but you know, somebody from the Jesus tradition admit that. Mm -hmm. That was usually how you would like catch someone. And, and they'd have to resist, or I would have to resist. I'd have to say, like, Jesus would have found me. Like, I would have yeah. known that my religion was false. Um, we're, you know, we're asking the whole world to do what we won't do, mm-hmm. which is, like, listen to a small, still voice that maybe we're wrong. We're asking them to reject their fathers and their mothers and their grandfathers and their gr- grandmothers and their culture to, like, listen to the whispering trees, you know, which I understand you can receive revelation from the trees, but, like, it's hard to get a direct message that goes, like, leave your faith and come to this faith, (laughs) which, as we've already mentioned, when you get down to it is is sort of, is not sort of, is pointing to a very similar um, ineffable place. Yeah, I I remember growing up and hearing pastors talk about, you know, tribes in in the jungles that have never had contact with anyone outside of their own village uh, and maybe the village, you know, a couple miles to the West or East that they trade with. And, you know, so they're never going to hear quote unquote, the truth. Uh, yeah. And, but they're still accountable. Like they'll still go to hell if they die right. without 
you know, quote unquote, again, accepting Jesus because even, you know, even the rocks cry out and like all this stuff, they would, they'd pull these verses out of the Bible where supposedly you know, they, uh, they're yeah. still denying it on yeah. some level but saying no to it. And that, yeah, that, that I just couldn't, I've heard you say this before too, but it's, so I'm not, I'm not just trying to parrot your own words back to you, but there, these have thing these have been things like you were saying, you hear several people say, and so you think, oh, there, there's something to this. But I remember laying in my bed at night, just being guilt ridden and having so much anxiety about the fact that if we really believe that people were going to die and burn forever, why do we ever sleep? Why do we ever do anything else but tell people what's coming? Right. It's so already you can see some of the hypocrisy because I mean, they didn't really believe it. It's like well-meaning hypocrisy, you know, like yeah. my, I, I, my heart sort of breaks for me. A friend of mine that I went to high school with, he said like, so you think all these people are going to hell? And I don't remember this, but he said, I, he said that I was like, yeah, it makes me sad all the time. Mm. And what's funny is like, it probably did make me sad in passing. But look, I'm just speaking for myself because people get very upset if you tell them that you don't believe them when they say they believe like 95% of the world yeah. and everyone that's ever lived is going to hell. Yeah. Um, if you if you imply that somebody doesn't really believe that based on what you're saying, which I agree with, they get upset and I understand that and I want to be respectful. But I'll just speak for me. I didn't really believe it. And in the book, what, I, what happens is I, I sort of use my wife leaving me as this like breach of trust between God and I. And then when I was on the other side of my traditional faith because of this pain, I felt free to ask these questions. The questions like where and when I was born determined and to who I was born determined what I believed and and was I just listening to grown ups and like did they take like an earnest curiosity about the world and sort of use it as a as a holding place for their ideology and all these difficult things. And one of them was do I really, really believe that my friends are going to help? And unfortunately, I think we all have. I've had friends that, that have died. And I'm like, do I believe they're in hell like right now? Mm. And I hung out with that person dozens of times. And I never once, I talk about witnessing in the book. I was like, it's like the worst yeah. thing to do because I didn't think I was actually sharing good news. You know, when, when we're trying to fall in love with God and with, with this, it's really hard when we have a transactional image of, of God. And, and, it's, it's, and Alan Watts is very bold about this. He talks about it. He's like, you don't love God. He's like, you're, you're lying. <laughs> like you're, you're, he's, he's saying that. It's really funny when he does. And it was very challenging to me because I was like, that was true. I, I so badly wanted identity which is so much of the good of what organized religion can offer sometimes, yeah. if it is good, is like the feeling of belonging. Richard Gore says the primary service is membership. Like you, you feel like you're a member of something. Right. And so you know your identity, you know you, you are, you even have like, you sort of inherit this idea of God from other people and all this sort of stuff, and, and it, that feels good and cozy. But I used to say the same thing when I was a little kid. I was like, if we believe everyone's going to hell, why isn't everyone a pastor? Why does Tom's dad work in, like, finance? Like, he, or, or why is this guy trading stocks? Like, 
shouldn't we just be grabbing people by the shirt collar? And they were like, well, that's not how God works. You know, you got to minister to people. And, the, and it all just seems like it never felt real to me. I was like, I always wanted to be a pastor because I, it, it did feel real to me. I was like, this is real. This matters. You told me this is real. You told me this matters. I'm not going to work in an ice cream shop <laughs> just on the off chance that every 3,000th customer I'll be able to quote John 3.16 to and change their life as I hand them some Rocky Road. Mm. I don't buy it. Like, we should be driving at this directly. So then sort of, it is ironically, people use the word ironic wrong a lot, but I went to Israel and I uh, studied in Jerusalem and all this stuff, and that's actually where my faith started to deteriorate, not get stronger, because I was having, it became real. Like, it, it, I realized that Israel and Jerusalem and Galilee and you know, all these places are just, are, it's just this. Yeah. You know, wherever you go, there you are. I went there. I went to Bethlehem, and it's this. It's it's matter. It's me. It's air. It's water. It's and, not a magical and, and, place. It, it was almost better to keep it as a magical place yeah. that, like, you never yeah. went to. When you go and you see people eating, you know, sandwiches and, and texting and, and listening to music and driving cars and all this stuff, you're just like, oh, oh, shit, it, 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 it's all of this. Mm -hmm. You can't escape this. And there isn't a magical place where, like, you know, it, it was easier having it almost be like a fairy tale. Yeah. And then when I went there, I had to really come to terms with um, looking at the Bible literally. Yeah. And then when I lost my faith, I, I dropped that and was able to go like, oh, some of those deaths that I had in Israel, now I can I can take those with me. That's but it's important to note that, like, the book is a lot about this deconstruction. I, 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 but for me personally, deconstruction is, like, really boring. Um, I sort of joke, like, people that are figuring out that you shouldn't read the Bible um, literally or that's not the point or, like, um, you know, figuring out, like, people that are like, oh, nothing was written about Jesus until 70 years after he died, stuff like that. That's all exciting. And if you want to watch the movie Religious, I love the movie Religious, but that's that's like your deconstruction, okay? And there's no shortage of Christians sort of really taking the scenic route through their deconstruction. And and I get that. It took me years, a couple, like maybe two years of like really tearing it apart. But what is super exciting to me and what the book is about is, is about reconstruction. It's about the necessary deconstruction. But then like, it's not just like, and I'll leave you with that. Like, here's some facts. Like, I'll, I'll tear this apart just like you could any any system any uh, that, that is this old and, like, this poorly recorded yeah. and just sort of shoot holes through it. Who cares? Like, here we are. We're Like I said, we're here and we're conscious and we're alive. And it's crazy and it's confusing and it's overwhelming. So what are the things, what are the techniques, what are the texts and who are the teachers they can bring us lasting, real peace, like something that is making my life better right now as I'm talking to you, less anxiety, more joy, non-circumstantial joy, not joy because I have my coffee and my smoothie and oh, it's an easy day, just joy because I am a piece of an infinite miracle. That is reconstruction. Yeah. And people that want to go like, oh, do you really believe that Adam and Eve ate an apple? It's like, okay, great, <laughs> fuck off. Like, I don't doesn't matter to me like enjoy like break it down hang up you know a led zeppelin poster in your bedroom and say the fuck word at the dinner table and like 
you know, great. Just like get on with it. Get on with it. Like figure out what in these stories, if anything for you, is coming with you. Right. And what's not. But let's 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 get a move on. Like I'm tired of just yeah. going as bullshit. You know, it's like yeah. So does every college freshman figures this out? Can we move on, please? You know what that reminds me of is the the one asshole at every magic show that's like it's in the hat. The rabbit, it's been there the whole time. Like yeah. there, we get it. We know that. I mean, deep down, even right. the ones that are quote unquote bought in, like on some level, I think most of us know that yeah. most of the time. So I agree. The interesting thing is the message of magic. Yeah. I think that's a great comparison. The the message of magic is look at this world and look at how it can be manipulated and look at how what you see isn't always what is and and look at wonder and look at delight. And like if you experience a magic show, you might actually experience, and I have, an inner transformation. Like you might just transform to an eight-year-old kid again. Mm Or you might just transform to someone who's not anxious or worrying about where they parked or or worrying about when they're going to go to the bathroom or where the next meal is. You might actually be swept away into something that actually is pretty godly and exciting. Or you can just go like it's a it's a mirror, it's a magnet, it's smoke. Like great, and that's so many ex Christians. Yeah. And like my heart hurts for my people because like again, it's fun to pick up every idol and every idea and drop kick it into that pit in Sparta from the movie 300. Like, great. I remember how fun that is. But then, like, slowly as we mature, or as Richard Gore says, as we get into the second half of our lives, or we, as we stop identifying with our small self and start waking up to our large, true self, you can go like, oh, the reason why a lot of these things have stuck around is because there's some really juicy, electric, sexy truth in there that isn't something for you to think and hold in your brain as a belief. I write in the book so that when you die, God can scan your brain with a UPC gun and make sure you have the right thoughts. I'm talking about something that can change your everyday life, your every moment life, and, and infuse it with richness and vitality. And do you need to do it with religion? No, I don't care. Like, if anybody's listening to this and they're like, well, I don't want to go back to the Bible. Great. You can get it a lot of, you can get it from photos of the Hubble telescope. You can get it on just sitting in your backyard and asking yourself, why should anything exist? Yeah. Why should anything exist? And just do that. Do it on your own if you can. People like me, I need stories and symbols. I need to have my heart broken and reassembled sometimes by other people's words and other people's experience. And then obviously psychedelics has a huge part in that because that can give you a, obviously I'm not saying everybody should do it, but for me it gave me like a a firsthand religious experience and that's what really opened up the door to the text. So now when I read about the kingdom of heaven or the garden of Allah or Shekinah or all these words that all the religions have for like vital, timeless nowness or presence of God, I know what they're talking about because I've I've done it dozens of times. Well, not dozens, but at least a dozen times. I've gone to that place chemically, <laughs> and I've also gone to it non-chemically. You know, yeah. just as just as much. And and those and those windows where you're there non-chemically get longer and longer and longer. And then you're less of an asshole, and you're less of a a scared person. You're less of a pinched person. You're 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 liberated. 
you're spacious, you're saved, you're converted. <laughs> it's not about something later. It's like, let's, let's get converted now. Yeah. And all these words might, you know, sound like nails on a chalkboard to recovering Christians, but like, I'm happy to say I'm 40 years old. I've been studying this stuff for a long time. Now I can listen to Be Thou My Vision and, and get the chills again. Like it, it, but it doesn't mean what it used to mean before. Interesting. People of Earth, this episode of Good Humans is brought to you by Accidental Information. Accidental Information is an amazing, inspirational organization that is actually run by Christopher Swan, who was a guest in last season of this show. What he's doing with this organization is helping each and every one of us celebrate what makes us different and then use that to improve our personal lives and our careers. I love this organization so much, and it's not just because we just joined their podcast network. It's because each and every article and show that they have contains directly applicable and practical advice that will improve your personal life or your career. I love the articles that they post such as How Binge Watching Helps You Live a Better Life, Five Amazing People Who Have Used Adversity to Spark Creativity, Five Ways to Learn from Every Podcast You Hear, How to Tap into Your Creativity, and so many more. If you're interested, you should check out accidentalinformation.com and tell them Good Humans sent you. Like, my wife and I still go to church every week as we, like, my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law go, and so we just kind of go with them. And I, I still find myself getting angry. Oh, I would never go to a church. Every week? I, I, I would never, dude. I couldn't relate harder. I, I'm talking about like I'll put on Sufjan Stevens singing "Beat Out My Vision" ah, I see. Okay. in my car. I, I, I could never go back to my church. The, 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 the emphasis on God's favor for us and His. Mm. Therefore, you know, if yes, then no. I mean, and his, you know, dismissal or worse, torture and judgment of others yeah. is in every praise song. I just can't do it. it. And so a lot of, like, lies in a praise song. People are just singing, like, I always reference this one, but, like, I would give my final breath to know you in your death and resurrection. It's like, would you? Yeah. I'm, we're not talking about, like, an advanced screening of the Avengers. We're talking about <laughs> knowing Carpenter yeah. from... Galilee, and I don't fucking believe you, dude, because I didn't mean it, mm-hmm. and I don't like singing songs that I don't mean. That's why, like, isn't isn't part know. of it trying to convince yourself though? Like, I, you know, hey. like thinking back when I was doing that, I I was singing, I was singing as sincerely as I could, but not because I necessarily bought in fully. It was because I was trying to make myself buy in. I was trying not. to convince myself. I know, but I mean, like, how are we supposed to fall in love with this? But it's not just, like, wishful thinking, like, let's build a God that's a little bit nicer for us to believe in. This is is something that, like, when I'm still and quiet, when I can get around my mind and listen to my essence, or when I'm quiet in nature, or, or when I'm observing the undulating and the pulsing, the good and the bad of this incredible universe... I don't I don't see vindictiveness and malice and plotting. No. I see life itself. I see sex. I see I see a, a universe that is attracted to itself that just couldn't wait to be and once it was it couldn't make couldn't wait to make more of it. Yeah. And things were dying to make space for the new things cuz it's it's this 
it's like a child. You know, my friend Michael Gunger wrote this amazing book called This, which I highly recommend, even more than my book. If you buy one book, buy this. If you buy two, maybe get mine. But he talks about God's energy being like a child that you're throwing up you know, on the beach, you're tossing your kid in the air, and the kid's like, again, like, that's what I see happening here. I see again, again, again. I don't see something waiting in the shadows with a knife, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or work a cage, you know, that's going to, like, torture a piece of itself. Where can you go that, that God is not? I don't understand. Oh, this, is, so, this is the stuff. <laughs> this makes me so happy, Pete, because I like I. This is the stuff. I just because what you're saying makes so much sense to me, and it's like when you hear when you hear truth, you know truth. It's it's really hard to deny it when you hear it, and this is the kind of thing. I I mean, this is my favorite thing also to talk about. I probably drive most of my friends and my wife crazy, but when you do think about like why why that's so limiting. If if God is really this being that just takes such pleasure in having us under his thumb or her thumb all the time. That's so limited. Why would, why would the universe exist and why, why would there be a joy at all? Right. If, why would there be a being? It's, it's just a very weird game that we were all explained was that life is like a test. That's, that's a big thing in my book is yeah. that there is no test. There's just to use Michael Gunger's language. There's just this. If we can get around our fixation with our ego and our narcissism and our this and not that, our, you know, differentiating and building clans and tribes and stitching flags, if you can be quiet and, and merge into that, the image of God that you get is, is way more intimate, way less exclusive. And, and, and then if you take a psychedelic, I mean, obviously people have bad trips, but I mean, usually they're, they're corrective. They're not vindictive. They're... You know, there's usually something, there's some sort of buffering happening going on, whether it's some attachment or it wants you to face your fear of death or something. It can be very unpleasant, but like, I always see it as something corrective. Something that I've been thinking a lot about, somebody said this to me, um, and I haven't quite figured out what I think about it yet, but the idea that the intention and like the good that it's doing for you is more important than like the language or the, the structure or the framework that you're using. So even if something's not like, technically you know quote unquote true if it's doing good for you then like if, if you're getting positive out of it then you know it's it's more about how it's hitting you and and what it's generating in you so going back to like some of the you know some of the words that may turn people off um you know salvation or you know the, the entire jesus story for some people i think is is a, a huge turnoff just because of their experience with the church but do you feel like there are there are some there are some pieces of it that are just toxic no matter how you look at it. Or do you think it's, it's more in sort of how we're contextualizing and absorbing it, you know, sort of individually? Yeah. You know, Rob, Rob Bell makes that point where he's like, some people are sexually abused in the name of Jesus. And some people are murdered or mutilated in the name of God. And if those people rightly don't want to reclaim that i mean i totally understand that i I don't think it i think that's a big point of my book is it's it's you know i'll tie it into show business actually i remember i said to conan conan o'brien gave me a talk show 
um, that was on briefly after his. And I remember I said to him, I was like, I never did this, by the way, and neither did he, but I was just curious because it's such a grind. I was like, you ever have like a glass of wine before a show? (laughs) (laughs) And he was like, uh, he said, you know, I'll say what Mick Jagger said. He said, whatever gets you through the night. So my attitude with things about spirit, for example, is, yeah, it it could literally be a a bad movie or it could be a a delayed flight or, or it could be food poisoning. Like there's all these things that can like have the potential to snap us out of it and, and ask the, the underlying question of all spirituality, which is who am I? And, and, and it's always whispering to us, you're not who you think you are. What you think is going on is a story that you've been told and it's a story that you're even perpetuating with your stories that you tell within the story and uh, things are trying to wake you up. God, you can call that grace. God's grace is trying to wake you up. So who cares if, it, like, again, to use Richard Rohr's signpost thing, this sign says to Cleveland, you know, and it's pointing this way, and this sign, who cares? Just get to Cleveland. Just sure. get to Cleveland. Like, maybe never look at a map and just wander around or, or, or ask somebody and get verbal directions. Just get to Cleveland. I love <laughs> just that. Get to Cleveland. Yeah. For for anybody for anybody listening that was just looking for permission, <laughs> I think that's the best that's the best version of permission that exists. Just get wherever it is that you're going. Right. Well, it's a tricky thing because you know the I, I enjoy uh, a lot of the Hindu tradition and the Buddhist tradition as well as the Jesus tradition. And you know, Jesus said, um, "The kingdom of heaven is here, but men do not see it." Yeah. Um, in the Hindu tradition, they say God, Guru, and Self are one. So it's a tricky thing. So the game or the dance that we're all sort of taking part in is tricky because the ego, I forget who said this, but the ego, given the choice between the destination, which we could call salvation or waking up or enlightenment, and the journey, the ego will always choose the journey because that's where the ego exists. So this is what Jesus means, I think, when he says to gain life, you have to lose it. You have to die. Mm, So we don't want to die. Our egos are threatened by this idea. So unfortunately, one of the things that happens a lot in spirituality is we'd rather just keep reading another book or having another conversation or trying another tradition or trying another mantra or trying another band or whatever it is. And we're always just going like, oh, maybe this will get me there. Maybe this podcast will get me there. Yeah. And all of them are saying, you're already there. Like, and, and it's hard for us to accept that because it means losing our identity. Yeah. As soon as you are everything, little Pete dies. And that is a very scary, it can be a very scary thing. Yeah. Obviously, I think there's a middle way. There's a balance there. Something I write in the book is I say, um, Pete's not enlightened, but I am. Meaning my fundamental awareness of course, it is enlightenment itself. Yeah. That's another thing Michael Gunger says. It is just awareness, and awareness is perfect. But Pete, you know, now I'm trying, you know, as I write about in the book, trying more and more to observe Pete. I'm not trying to get rid of Pete. I'm just trying to not be so attached to Pete. Yeah. I'm trying to not get so lost in the story of Pete. I'm trying to spend more time in the I am which is obviously what God says his name is mm-hmm. in the Old Testament. He is 
isness. He is the quality of I am. And guess what? If you are, then you are a piece of I am. Yeah. So you are. But unfortunately, the, the false self, we build up this story of who we are and what we need, and what we deserve, and which group we belong to. And that all got to go. It's all on fire. It's all missing the point. It doesn't come with you. It's horseshit. And we love it because it's where the highs and the lows and the fights and the passionate lovemaking or whatever it is, like the, oh, she broke my heart or, oh, she said yes or whatever it is. It's all in there. So we don't want to, you know, somebody wrote that the first step to waking up is admitting that you don't want to wake up. You, Pete, does not want to wake up. I am already woken up. You know, so you need to like shift from the, experiencer to the observer of the experiencer yeah and that's one of the things i write about in comedy sex god is i say you can start to look at your life dispassionately compassionately but dispassionately as if it's a good episode of television like you got mm. fired and you can observe it from your still quiet place and just be like holy shit what is pete gonna do yeah. he is in a real pickle and that is one way to understand soul consciousness, which is not just a way of saying you have a body that goes to heaven after you die. It's something that you can experience and feel and work with right now. That, and that's where joy is. And that's where peace is. It's not in your ego. That's one of the major things that Ram Dass taught me is that he said, peace cannot exist in the ego. And that quote is in my book. Because... The ego is made of stuff that doesn't allow for peace. How could it? Right. It's a story. Even I was just eating an ice cream sundae on the beach, and it was awesome. And then it goes away. And this is straight roundhouse. It goes away. And then you want some water because, you know, you got that sweet taste. And then, and then you need to use the bathroom. And then you want dinner. And then you want to use the bathroom. And then you want to go to bed. And then you got to go to work. And you want a, a good commute. It's just this endless bullshit. And we can only have like these fleeting, just a moment of, of joy because what? You got the tickets to the concert you want, you get the notification that you won the eBay bid or whatever, and you're just like, oh, and you feel so happy, and it goes away. Yeah. Talk to an achiever like me. I'm an achiever. <laughs> I like achieving. It goes away. Yeah. Oh, you got your own show. goes away. Like, then you're chasing the next thing. Well, I want to write the best first episode of the show. Okay, it goes away. I want to write the second best episode. It doesn't matter. You can have the most successful show in the world. It's always just going to be, your joy is always going to be on the other side of whatever next wall you're imagining. But if you can have a non-circumstantial joy and a non-circumstantial peace, that comes from soul awareness. That comes from realizing your true identity and no longer being lost in your false identity, which I, even as I say it, you know I'm right. Everybody listening knows that you are not a man, you're not white, you're not American, you're not left hand, right? This is all just sort of what's happening that you picked up on from a more basic place. Right. And I'm watching my baby do this in real time. She's figuring out where she is and slowly she'll figure out who she is. Right now she doesn't even know her name. And that's who you really are. You're not your name. It's a fucking sound of a mammal and another mammal decided to yell in your direction to get you to turn your head when there's danger or food or they want to say something to you. And just because we wrote it on a piece of paper and had it notarized at the 
county clerk doesn't mean it's fucking real. None of it's fucking real. You don't need a death certificate to be dead. Yeah. You're just dead. It's happening. You don't bring on the day. You don't start your heart, and you don't stop your heart. It's all happening without you, without the false you, and through and within the real you. I Listeners can't see what's happening, but I, I lit up like a light bulb uh, when you said that. I Man, I love that so much. Um, like I'm almost about to cry. I love that so much. So I love it. That's why I want to talk about it all the time. And the forgetting is part of it too. I forget too. I, you know, I forget all the time. So I love talking about it yeah. and remembering and being in that place where we can remember together. As, as Rob Bell would say, you're already at the party. You've, you've you're already at the party, the party right? the whole time. So to, a couple of things I want to ask you about the book, cause I I'm, I'm so excited. I pre-ordered the book. Um, so I'm very excited to read it while you were writing it. Uh, did you surprise yourself? Was there anything surprising that came out of that for you? Like, were, did you, did your brain kind of sneak up on itself at any point? And were you like, Oh my God, I'm there's something happening. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why creativity and spirituality are such good friends is because, you know, if we're saying that God is, is this like insatiable desire to exist, obviously, you know, the creator, if you want to be like the creator, you create stuff. Like you, you get this sort of divine flow, let's say a flow feeling from writing. Um, obviously on the good days, everybody knows that there's bad days, but I, I, I don't even care. I would get up some days and I just knew like, nope, it's not happening. Hmm. But I am not a, a person that has a hard time. Not always, but usually I can I can green light myself and, and love myself and be like, it's okay. Today, I'm very gentle with my muse, for lack of a better way to put it. So if it's saying no, I don't go like, well, we're going to sit here until you give me, you know, I don't do that. I, I play Xbox. I, I just, I stop. But the days that usually following a day like that, where you're marinating on it and letting your subconscious sort of, you know, do its thing. The next day, you'd be surprised at how much comes out of you and, and how it's coming out of you. Like the way you write in a book is often similar to, but sometimes a little bit different from the way you uh, talk. Mm. So it's like the voice is sort of emerging. And then like memories that you thought you forgot or details that you thought you forgot. It's like a good therapy session or a hypnotherapy session too, I would imagine. Um, where you're remembering these details that you that you didn't know that you remembered. So it really is, you know, if God's the creator, creating can feel really, really close to the divine for me. Um, whether whether it's creating a good conversation or, or, or creating a your dinner, if you're quiet, you can sort of find that part of you that's participating in the creation of all things. You're creating something. So that can be really, really fun. Um, and I, I, and I enjoyed it. I, I'm going to, I'm going to do it again. If I, you know, if I live, well, I hope you do. <laughs> if you live, <laughs> if I live. do you have a favorite part of the book or a favorite thing that's in the book? Yeah, I, I share an experience that I have, uh, had, um, you know, where I talk about my first experience with, um, basically mantras and the mantra that I came up with, like, I realized that like, my whole life I went to the museum or I went to the botanical gardens or, or any a park or anything. And I was doing what a lot of people do, which I was comparing things to other things. You know, 
I would find the Picassos and I would go like, these are the good ones. You know, I found the right ones. And whatever painting I was looking for was always in another room. And I just sort of had to like keep moving and, and I was completing a mental checklist. And then even a little bit more subtly, if I went to a botanical garden, doing the same thing. I would go like, oh, uh, there is a yellow rose. There is a pink rose. Like you're just thinking about things. Yeah, you're boxing things up. That's right. Yeah. As if there's a test. Yeah. As if you're quizzed later. But this is how we learn. This is like Greek logic. This is Western logic. Sure. It's what we learn to do. And it gives us bridges and Starbucks and vaccines. And I'm grateful for that. <clears throat> but it also can rob you of the moment. And why be in the moment? You know, people say be here now, but it's like, <clears throat> why be here now? It's because that's where the juice is. Like, really? Well, where else are you going like to be? <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're going to be lost in the cobwebs of your of your brain, of your drunken monkey mind, and you're just going to be, you know, removed and kind of in the in the sunken place. Like, yeah. like you know, like get out. You're just kind of like in the thick black water. And that sucks, and uh, and it's great to be here, and that's where joy and vitality and juice are. So, I I realized that in, in the point in the book, I was a little it was a little too soon for me to get into like Sanskrit mantras. It was a little too like woo woo for me to like say a Hindu name of God or something. I, I just didn't like that. Sure. So I just tried going around. I went to the botanical gardens, and I just said yes, thank you to everything. I was like, if I'm going to think anything. Hmm which is what a mantra is, it's like a pledge. You're like, I will just think yes, thank you. And I can't tell you that is one of the biggest, and I don't mind ruining the whole book, by the way. Um, <laughs> I really don't. People are sometimes like, I don't want to ruin the ending. I'm like, I don't care. It's like, yes, thank you is something that you can practice right now. But it's like, if you look at uh, a tree, and instead of thinking tall tree, short tree, blooming tree, thin tree, thick tree, if you just say yes, thank you to it. So I'm not even asking you to to think deep right. thoughts. Wow, look at the roots feeding it from the ground and the air and the rain. That's all thoughts too, and and those can be fun thoughts. But like just allowing a tree, or even allowing people at the botanical gardens, or even allowing your suffering. That's a trippy one is to say, yes, thank you, um, when you get bad news. Yeah. I, I, I've used this example before, but they gave me galleys. I actually think this is one of them. This is a galley of the book, and it was the wrong version of it. So I had worked on it for three years. It wasn't a huge mistake, but it was enough to make me upset. Like, I felt a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. And then I realized, I was like, well, i got to do what I say in the book. I mean, this seems like a good moment for that. Oh. And I said, yes, thank you, to the to the pain. And as soon as you do that, your brain has no idea what to do. It, <laughs> it, like a computer starts to smoke and it, everything just crashes. And that's a wonderful technique. It's like you say, okay, this is yet another experience. It's unpleasant. And it really was. It really bothered me. Mm. I was angry and sad and really upset. And then I was like, you know, there it is. There's little Pete dying like let's 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 cut off a little piece of him and then let's let the awareness say thank you this is this is great so let's do it in real time let's not look back 
a year later and go like, you know, that was a learning experience. <laughs> I don't know why it sounds a little like Disney after school special or something like everything's a miracle. But the more you contemplate that and the more you let that into your heart and the more spacious you become, the more you realize that we're in a miracle for real, yeah. looking for other miracles. So when Jesus walked on water, that was a miracle inside of a miracle. You know, it was a miracle to wake you up to this miracle. Right. You know what I'm saying? It, it even literally happened, which of course is not the point. Right. It's, it's, it's to make you ask the question, what, what is happening? Yeah. There's one question I ask all my guests. What, from your perspective, what does it mean to be a good human? Um, how does one go about that? What, is, what does that look like? It's, it's a big question, but it's, I don't know that there's necessarily a wrong answer. Yeah. Well, no surprise, I think, to, I think to Richard Rohr, he says that the meaning of life, this is framed on my wall, he says, is to humbly and proudly return what you've been given. Hmm. So I think that is like a, obviously it's contradictory to be humble and proud at the same time, but I think that's by design. Sure. It's to be sort of paradoxical. He also says that the definition of love is seeing yourself in other people. It's your ability to see yourself in other people. So to realize that it's not their problem, it's it's the problem. It's 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 mm. problem. Yeah. You know. And that that can be as simple as helping somebody, you know, when they lost the keys to their car or whatever. Not because it's good and you're getting points with God or whatever, but because God locked herself out of the car. But you know, to give yourself a, a little less woo-woo or metaphysical answer, I do think there is a simple approach to that. And for me, it's, it's a good human is a human that is moving forward in its evolution and in its love and in its spaciousness. So it doesn't matter if you're like, you know, there's a rabbinical teaching where they ask a rabbi, they say, you know, rabbi, there's a man climbing a ladder and he's on the third rung. And there's a man who's climbing a ladder who's on the 17th rung. And they said, "Who? which of these men is better? And the rabbi said, the one that's still moving forward. Ah, and I think, yeah. that's, I think that's what a good human is. Are you a good human? I'll quote Jesus, who amongst us is good? <laughs> I mean, why, why do you call me good? That's, who amongst us is good? I love that answer. Pete, this was such a great conversation. You are so delightful to talk to. I really appreciate you taking time to do this. Um, do you, I'll ask the question you ask all the time. Do you feel good? Is there, is there anything that I didn't ask that you always wish people would ask and nobody does? No. Um, and it's because the first thing you learn, this was a great conversation. I won't even call it an interview, but for anybody listening, um, as somebody who, who is interviewed uh, a fair amount, one of the ways that I prevent that happening to me. So I ask people on my podcast, I'm like, are you okay? Did I not ask you something? One of the ways to avoid that in life, and you can just do this over lunch, is someone asks you something and you can answer, this is a cliche in showbiz, but answer the question you wish they asked. <laughs> I, didn't have, I didn't have to do that here, but sometimes people will ask me a dumb question or, or you know, a question that's not that rich. And you just, if I think it's a bad interview, I'll just talk the whole time. <laughs> I, just go, like, like, I, I got think, it. I got this. Yeah, 
you don't know who I am. You don't know what I'm about. You don't know the book, and that's all fine. But to make this bearable for me, I'm going to answer questions that I'm imagining you asked, even though you just asked me, like, you know, when did you first realize you were funny or something? I don't know. That's yeah. You know. Yeah. So the book is called Comedy Sex God. Mm-hmm. Uh, as if it's not comedy sex God, right? It's like as if there was a comma between the three, three yeah. separate things. And it comes out May 14th. Yeah. Correct. So yeah, I think that link is on my Instagram. Yes. If you're, if you need it, it's in my bio and then you can get it at harperwave.com slash Pete Holmes or local bookstores or big box stores, whichever you like. Wonderful. Um, thank you for the work you're doing. Um, I, I honestly, I, this isn't me just gushing to, to somebody, although I, I admire you a lot, so I would gush anyway, thank but thank you for the work you're doing. You've, you've helped me immensely. Um, and it's been invalu- invaluable to me. It, it continues to be, but, um, I, I sincerely hope you keep doing it because I think we need it. Thanks, man. I appreciate that very much. Really. I do. Of course. And until next week, be good to each other. <laughs>